we are continuing the sermon series on spiritual warfare. Uh, and this is part four. And I want you to know that we're going to focus today on the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. Now here's the thing that you need to know. Uh, you are never immune to spiritual warfare. This morning, as I'm backing out of the house, we come to church, we leave our house at 7.30 in the morning. And so we're driving, we get about a block away from the church, and all of a sudden there's a heavy downpour. Oh, Lord, not rain. Not rain. You're tempting me. Nobody will be here. And so Linda quickly looks at the weather forecast and sees that the forecast said there's going to be rain, 70% chance of rain right through 9 o'clock. She goes, we might as well just turn around now. <laughs> because I know our people, rain keeps them away. That's the great temptation in Naples. Rain, believe it or not. And so I just put it to God, Lord, intervene. Intervene in the weather, you can do it. And you are here. You are victorious. And so your mere presence is preaching to me right now uh, as a victory in spiritual warfare. Make no mistake about it, he never is idle. And so here we're going to talk about today the sword of the Spirit, the very sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 17, the Apostle Paul uh, tells believers to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the very Word of God. This is the only place in Scripture that you will find the phrase, uh, the sword of the Spirit. You'll see uh, in Hebrews 4, verse 12, referring to the Word of God as a sword. You can put it on the board. Uh, for there it says, For the Word of God is living and active, the verse says, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's how powerful the Word of God is. When you read the Word of God in Scripture, and you read those words, those words are empowered to cut through to your heart, to impact you and affect you like no other words could, because God wrote those words. He knows what you need. He knows how to inspire you. And so you need to look no further in this regard than the life and example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We look at how he used those very words to fend off Satan, and you will find this uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. Now, in that section of reading, Jesus is on the tail end of a 40-day fast. This is what he's being brought to uh, to begin his ministry. And so for 40 days he hasn't had anything to drink, he hasn't had anything to eat, uh, and so understandably the Messiah is weakened uh, and he is hungry. And so here Satan, and in these verses he's called the tempter, comes to Christ and he says the following if, and I love Satan, this is what he does, if if you are the Son of God. I'm using the voice of Satan, that was right. <laughs> Command these stones to become loaves of bread, to which Jesus replies, quoting Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, It is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so you see, this is how Satan acts. He's going to take scripture, he'll take something you'll know, he'll pervert it, it won't be revealed fully as truth, he'll contextualize it, and so he'll use it to tempt you. But you need to be able to have the word of God to respond, and that's what Jesus did. Now, moments later, uh, Satan took Jesus to, a, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And then he says it again, if, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Now, that was a, con a correct citation of scripture. It was a direct reference to Psalm 91, but what Satan does is he takes it out of context, and this is how he tempts us. Uh, and Jesus responded again, quoting Deuteronomy 8, 6, verse 16. Again, it is written, Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We don't test God. We don't ever test the creator of the universe. And that's what Satan was doing here, testing God. Uh, and if you look at Psalm 91, verse 9 to 12, you see the actual verses, and I'll prove to you why it was a miscitation out of context. There the verses say, The Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. In all your ways, meaning as you're walking with God, as you're serving God, as you are within the will of God, all right, he will protect you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Look, there's no verse that you can cite that allows you to harm yourself. Uh, because you use that as an example. You can't harm yourself. You can't test God. You don't put God to the test. But if within your walk, within the kingdom of God, something befalls you and you're hurt, God will protect you. He will lift you up. He'll surround you. Uh, and so this is important to understand. But see how Satan works. All right? This is why you have to be so weary of uh, bad theology. And I'm sorry to tell you, Bad theology is pervasive all over the world. All you have to do is turn on television, and it will come pouring through your screen as you will see so-called televangelists, the spouse of theology that I never knew was part of the Bible. And finally, the last scene with Jesus and Satan, where the devil takes Jesus up to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says, and he had the authority to do this because this is his world. He says, all these I will give you, Satan says, if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus responds powerfully, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. That's Deuteronomy 6, 13. You worship God and God alone. 
and then he tells him to depart, and Satan departs. This should serve us as a reminder that because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us as believers, we have access to God's word, meaning you read it, you study it, you affirm it, you put it to your mind, you have access to it, and you should use it to fend off the wiles of, the, of Satan. Uh, we have spiritual eyes that allow us to appreciate and discriminate uh, the word of God and to understand it. We have the ability, because of the Holy Spirit, to apply it in our lives. Uh, and we have the sharpness uh, and swiftness of the two-edged sword of Scripture at our disposal. This is the sword of the Spirit. This is the offensive weapon that God has given you uh, in your spiritual warfare. Now, knowing, processing, and possessing uh, how to appro appropriate the Word of God serves as an effective weapon as we use it. You need to understand that. Um, it should be noted that every weapon that Paul gave us, for the most part, were defensive weapons uh, designed to keep us where God has planted us. But God wants you also to have an offensive weapon. There comes a time when you need to strike back, where you need to defend yourself, when you are being assailed with bad theology, when, when Satan seeks to undermine your faith and your thought process. Uh, and so God wants you to be aware of this. This is the sword of the Spirit. You need to appropriate it. It is God's word. It's God's word that leads us to righteousness. It is God's word, you see, that leads us to understanding, understanding what our purpose is in this world, understanding how we walk with him. It is God's word that keeps us from sinning. This is important because every day of your life, you are going to be attacked. You're going to see temptation. And it is the word of God that you study and you reflect upon that will keep you, that will put a wall up for you, that will keep you from sinning uh, and from taking the evil way. Look, the Holy Spirit uses the power of God's word to rescue us through salvation. You came to salvation because of the word of God. You understood that that's what God did for you. And then he gives you the spiritual strength to be mature soldiers by the word of God, to fight corruption and lust and sin that runs rampant in this very world every possible day. The more you know and understand the word of God, the more useful it will be to you, uh, and you will be walking with him in an ever more powerful way and effectively using the word of God so that Satan cannot trip you up. The challenge for us is coming to know and understand the word of God. The words of Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 6 to 9, speak profoundly to us on this issue. And this was where Moses was teaching the Israelites what God's word meant as he delivered God's word. Uh, there he says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door, heads, door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know, pious Jews 
the Pharisees would have little boxes. They were called phylacteries. And they would have the commandments of God, the word of God, around their neck or around their wrist. They would have them with them constantly to remind them of the word of God. Look at these verses, the importance of the word of God. You know, so many of us wonder, what can we do with our grandchildren? What can we do with our children? Well, we need to give them the word of God. You need to read the Bible. You need to speak to them about the Bible. Uh, you do it. Talk about them when you sit at home. Here it is. That was 1,500 years ago. That was the prescription. You know, excuse me, 2,500 years ago. Uh, and so in every way, even as you walk along the road, meaning wherever you go, reflect on the word of God. Have it in your mind. Have it in your heart. You know, here's the thing. Today, you're going to leave church and you're going to go out and have lunch. How about discussing the sermon? All right? How about that? How about discussing uh, the words that, that I utter today that are word of God? Now, don't say, boy, he was too long today. That's, I don't want you to say that. But instead, I'd rather you focus, focus on the scripture about those words and how it's impacting your life. And this is what you need to do. And, and if you have younger people with you, bring them in and, and do that. Invite them to understand that. Uh, I'm reminded of my little two-year-old granddaughter who was playing with her, another girl who was about four. Uh, and the other girl came running in. She was only two, my granddaughter. Uh, and, and she says, Charlotte just said God gives her courage. God gives her courage. She had studied David and Goliath. And that, that affirmed her heart. She's two years old. Okay? You see the power of the word of God? How it works? And it will work the same way in your life. And your children's life. And your grandchildren's life. This is why I want to emphasize the point of reading. And rereading the primary principles of God. And the Bible. Imagine how many more families would be unified and stronger. And walking with God if they spent a few minutes every day to talk about a specific scripture. Imagine all the good that could occur in the world if you committed yourself that way. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I really affirm you in this way to address this as a, as a life principle. Now, we should write scripture down as well. This is important. You don't just read it, let it blow through your mind, but you know what? When you study the Bible, you ought to keep a journal next to it and write down verses that, that impact you uh, and write questions down that impact you so that you can ask God to answer these questions. And then you need to pray on it. Praying on various scriptures over your own life and the circumstances of those who you come into contact with that you love will cause you to have a greater understanding of the Word of God. Uh, and I want to commend our quarterly prayer breakfast because our leader, Kathy Fresney, takes various scriptures and has those scriptures prayed over. And we do that four times a year. And I can tell you uh, that's affected my heart as I see the people of the church take a verse and pray over that verse and then incorporate that verse into their life. That's how God wants you to read the scripture. All right? This isn't just a fairy tale book. This isn't a book just about entertainment. This is God's roadmap for you in this world and the roadmap to heaven. Now, we also need to live it out. The more scripture you read, 
the more relevance you find in unearthing the Word of God in your daily life, if you are holy and faithful in making God and making this a daily practice in reading, you will discover that your anxiety and depression is replaced by peace. Your fear will be replaced by confidence. Your weariness will be replaced by strength. And your stress is replaced by peace, all through God's supernatural way. I can't give you a better prescription for mental health than reading the Bible and studying the Bible and having the Word of God impact you, the sword of the Spirit of God. Uh, here's an example. Suppose, for example, Satan comes into your heart and your mind uh, and makes an accusation. You're a loser. You're worthless. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You are nobody. Now, maybe you've never had that happen, but I can assure you Satan has done that with me. Who do you think you are? You know, for years, one of the reasons that I didn't step up to the pulpit is I was convinced I wasn't holy enough. I had looked at my father and my grandfather. I wasn't a holy person like they were. I had no right to get up and speak. But finally, God spoke to my heart and said, no one is holy, only me. And that's Satan doing that to keep you cemented to your seat. And so if that comes into your heart, I want to give you this verse. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. God will not condemn you. If you've given your heart to him, don't let Satan condemn you when Jesus himself would not condemn you. Look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Though my sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Clearly the Bible uh, can speak to us in any situation. And so there's the example, even when you're under attack. If only we let the Bible speak to us. But here is the problem. Uh, most believers would accept this premise. They believe that. Yet they do not study the scriptures. They don't pick it up and they don't study it. They do not invest any time in knowing the Bible. Uh, in order to understand God's word, you need to read it and study it thoroughly. <clears throat> you need to write it down. You need to think about it. You need to pray about it. And then finally, you need to give it away to others. This is what God wants you to do. And here's the thing, when you do that, wisdom and encouragement and truth will be so embedded in your heart that you will become the wisest, most encouraging, most truthful version of yourself that has ever been. Amen, church? Think about that. That's what God wants for you. And that's the tools that he's given you in order to accommodate that. However, we have to be mindful that Satan has a ploy against God's words, and you need to be aware of that. Since the beginning of recorded time, Satan's primary attack uh, against the people of God has been centered on denying, uh, disputing, debating, deluding, and ultimately defiling the word of God. Look at the very first time that we see Satan in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. Uh, it bears this out. 
And now you'll see it on the screen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Well, God never told her she couldn't touch it. He never said that, but you see how Satan twists the words. And what does Satan then say? You will not certainly die, he said to the woman. And that's how it is. That's how he comes into our lives. He puts thoughts in your minds. He puts lust in your minds. And you begin to reflect on this, and you know it's wrong. And then what does he say? Come on. Come on. You can't live this way. You're not a monk. You're not a nun. Have some fun. And what happens is we reflect on it. All of a sudden, we water down God's word. We water it down, all right? Uh, and then the famous last words, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, he knows your heart, even as you venture out and sin. You see how Satan works? You see how he perverts the word of God? He is in the business of eroding your rich relationship with God. He's in, a, in the business of providing empty religion. And a key means that he uses that is planting emissaries in pulpits throughout the United States and the world. There are people in pulpits all over the world who are espousing a false theology. And what do I mean by a false theology? They deny the deity of Christ. They deny the virgin birth. Uh, they deny the virtuous life that Christ lived. They deny his resurrection and they deny his imminent return. And ladies and gentlemen, I tell you that there are pulpits all over America where you will hear that kind of false theology. <clears throat> his victorious resurrection and his imminent return becomes a key part of understanding who Jesus is. The devil wants to distort the idea that salvation is by grace alone. He doesn't want you to think that salvation is by grace alone. He wants you to think that you're working your way to heaven, you know, and you're good. You're good. Look at you. You're so much better than your neighbors. You're a good husband. You're a good wife. You're doing all these good things, and you're giving money to You're good. You're working your way to heaven. Don't go with that nonsense that salvation is by grace alone. That's the devil's lie. He'd like nothing more than have you swallow that. Uh, then, oh, one of his favorites is, there is no hell, right? Oh, there is no hell. And I'm sad to say that a major pastor from a church in Michigan that had a couple thousand people wrote a book that there is no hell. There is no hell. Do you realize how Satan works? How he even corrupts the pulpits? Let me assure you, there is a hell. And nobody spoke about hell more than Jesus did. And so here's the thing. <clears throat> if Satan can transform himself into an angel of light that 2 Corinthians 11 acknowledged, then surely he can show up on a Sunday morning in a clerical collar or a three-piece suit or even jeans and flip-flops. Right? You understand? He can masquerade. But our, your job is discernment, to look for the word of God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
verse 14. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. This light, this is who we're fighting. This is what it's all about. When you leave here today, I want you to be committed to understanding this, to knowing the dangers that you face, and to understand that the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the sword, is the only thing that you can do that's an offensive weapon to thrust against him. Look, scriptures confirm that in these last days we will find heresy running rampant. Is that a surprise? You see it every day. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. And this was written about 40 years after Jesus died on the cross. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out in the world. How about that? 40 years after Christ died, many false prophets are out in the world. Uh, look also at Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 on the board. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Here's the litmus test I'm going to give you. Anytime you hear somebody preach, every time you listen to some message coming in through the television set, the test is this. If they don't elevate Jesus Christ as the Son of God, turn it off. You understand? Turn it off. It's poison. Don't let the poison come into your home in any way. Don't let it impact your children and, and your grandchildren. You know, we must look at ourselves at the, with the sword of the Spirit so that we can spot a fraud when we see one. Just because somebody comes up here and starts speaking as if he was a, a man of God doesn't mean that he is a man of God. The question is, what are the words coming out of his mouth? Is he espousing himself? Is he a coach? Is he your pal? Or is he a man delivering the word of God? And ask God for discernment, because that's the kind of people that you want to follow. Our only hope, our only hope against error is truth. And the truth comes from God himself. Look, Satan blinds people's minds. He even misuses scripture to do this. He deludes us into plausible and persuasive arguments. He takes advantage of our lack of understanding and discernment. He misinterprets, uh, and he takes scripture out of context. Uh, he capitalizes on our failure to see the big picture. He reduces matters of importance and elevates matters of much less importance. This is his game plan. We need to emulate Jesus as he refuted Satan. It is written. It is written. It is written. Carry that message today out of church. And after Christ did that, Satan fled, and the angels came and ministered unto him. Look, we need to make a commitment to read and study the Bible. Every day of your life, this is God's roadmap to heaven. This is God's map for you to understand how to live. We need to ask God for discernment as we need read and study. There is nothing else that you can do in this world <clears throat> that will provide any greater benefit to your ongoing life, to your children, to your family, to your friends, than having a deep 
and fundamental understanding of the Word of God. That is the sword of the Spirit. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for giving us an understanding of what you've given us, Father, to understand the wiles of Satan, how he seeks to pervert us and ruin us, Lord, how he works on our mind, and yet we have the example of Christ, who there he was, even after 40 days, was able to cite Scripture to fend off the evil one. Lord, give us strength to be able to do this. Give us strength to have a mind to study. Give us a commitment to read the Bible every day. Give us a commitment to discuss it with our family and our children and our grandchildren. Give us a commitment to elevate the word of God so as we walk in this world, this evil world, we have the sword of the Spirit to fend off evil. Lord, be with our people in every way as this message resonates in our heart, as we put this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen, church.